Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world and the universe. Welcome to Quantum Living, a mysterious dimension at the intersection of science and spirituality, where anything can happen. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for joining me on this quantum journey as I continue lifting the veil of other dimensions and realities to make them a part of our life. As always, please take away from the show only what resonates with you and discard the rest or put it aside for later. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome to yet another fascinating episode of Quantum Living. Today we continue our amazing conversation with Mela Borowski, an intuitive energy healer, hypnotherapist, author and self-proclaimed Green Hedge Witch. We left it when we talked about the fifth state of consciousness, the Delta State, pondering where our consciousness goes and what it does when we sleep. Let's pick up where we left off. Okay, Mela, let's move on to what I consider the sixth state of consciousness, which is the flat line on the EEG, and which is death. And this opens a whole new rabbit hole of reincarnation, the afterlife, life between lives, soul journeys, NDE, death and dying. Let's start with reincarnation and then move on to the afterlife and wherever else we want to take it. What's your view on reincarnation? I know that you don't necessarily have to believe in reincarnation to do past life regression, but it does help. So I I have seen and heard <laughs> so many things from my clients and from my own experiences that there's no possible way that I could not believe in reincarnation. I just have had too many experiences and had my clients describe things that I then looked up. I found names, I found places and military companies that they were part of and towns. So I absolutely believe in reincarnation. I think that we carry a lot of the good things and the bad things with us as we come into each life. And I, I even believe that we can be reincarnated as animals, even as plants. Uh, my Native American friend who does the sweat lodges that I mentioned, she told me that Native Americans believe that you start, you have to be everything to get through your entire cycle. So you start out as you know, a bug and mm. a bird and you're a fish and you're a tree, a yeah. rock. You try everything. Yeah. What do you think about reincarnation? Are you a believer? I'm sure you are. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I absolutely agree with you that reincarnation is pretty much a fact of life and it doesn't have to conflict or clash with someone's religious beliefs. And it does make so much sense. I remember when I was little, five years old or so, I asked my father, what happens when we die? And he said, well, when you die, you die. You just cease to exist. And I said, I, I can't believe it because I couldn't imagine it. What does it mean you cease to exist? I will never cease to exist. 
So to me, reincarnation simply makes sense. We as a soul, as consciousness, exist forever. And we go through the various phases, the various levels of growth and development and learning and and fun and enjoyment of life and many other things we don't even know about yet. So it makes absolutely a lot of sense. And I would like to share also with you and our listeners (laughs) my own personal evidence of reincarnation. Well, yes, I did have a few past life regressions, but I have an unmistakable evidence in my own life. When I was very little, about two, three years old, I remembered my past life, which was in the same country when I was born in this life. And I remember I was so surprised and not very happy that I was in the same country. And I kept asking my parents, why am I here again? It was that that thought, why am I here again? Everything was familiar. I could read at the age of three. I could read the language without being taught a single letter. I remembered. I remembered the content of my past life because I was born in Poland. And I remember that I was a Polish Jew, a teenager, a teenage boy, and I was killed in the concentration camp at Auschwitz. And I remember that. And when I was sharing those memories with my parents, obviously, you know, they were freaking out. So, oh, you know, these are just dreams. Stop talking about it. But I knew. And the fact that I remembered and I remembered the language and no one could explain how come I could read. I remember (laughs) one day I picked up a, a newspaper at the ripe age of three and I started reading it. My father almost fainted. I was never taught to read at that time. No one could explain. Obviously, I knew because I knew the language. And I was quite unhappy that I had to go through the childhood growing stages again. And I kept asking, why do I have to go through this again? Because I've already done it. I should be like 15, 16 years old. So I know that it was a fact. Because of that, and obviously due to my research and my own spiritual development, I know that reincarnation is a fact of life. We do come back. And the afterlife, well, is there an afterlife? Yes, there is. This is where you go in between incarnations. You can call it heaven or hell or whatever you want to call it, but there is a place in another dimension at a different frequency where our consciousness goes once we leave this physical body. Now, I'd like to ask you, because I know that you do this work, just as I do, with your clients about soul journeys, and I think you you touched upon it earlier on. Could you talk to this, what are soul journeys and how we can access them and why would we want to? I think there's a lot of different ways that you can look at soul journeys and I do want to touch on the journey of the soul that I've seen through my work with past life regression, because I do take people into that space between lives that you mentioned. 
And people describe it many ways, but most people describe it to me as a space. And I always ask this question, does it feel familiar to you or is it completely new? And the majority of the times over many years of many clients, they will say it feels familiar. I will have people who are just floating in nothingness, but it feels very comfortable. And I will have a few people who've said that they're almost at a conference. There's a conference table with their spirit guides and galactic guides standing around, which I always think is really interesting that that space between lives, heaven, or whatever you want to call it, is almost like a conference of your loved ones, your soulmates, your soul family, your guides all coming together to figure out where you're going to go next. What did you learn? And so I I really think a lot of healing does come from going to that space between lives. And whether you're going into the past or the future, your future lives, whether you're skipping timelines to see what's going on in a different timeline, I think it all kind of stems from this central core of the space between lives. Mm. <laughs> I also really yeah. I really love thinking about your soul's journey as far as the progress. And I once heard someone talk to me about every choice you make, you're either choosing to make a selfish choice or you're choosing to work for the community. So that's how your soul advances. He doesn't, he didn't believe in evil per se, as people, as people perceive it, because every single day we either choose to make a selfish choice or a community choice. So it's not necessarily evil or good. It's just what's helping you, what's helping others. If someone is constantly making selfish choices, then people would look at that as that soul is evil. That soul is going on a path that's harming other people in a lot of cases. But what he believes, and I believe this as well, I really learned a lot from him, is that at some point, every soul gets to the point where they decide that going the selfish route is not the way to go. And they will turn around and start working on the community universal love type path, which was very, very uh, comforting to me that at some point every soul decides that the selfish path is not the best path mm. so we could say that even the worst quote unquote person will turn around at some point when they understand that they are on the wrong path absolutely which doesn't serve them and it doesn't serve the greater good or other people and one important aspect of talking about reincarnation is to talk about death because most people are afraid of dying. So the fear of death and dying is very strong and it can impact on your life. And it comes from their understanding that, or the lack of understanding that they will never die. They will simply change their state of consciousness they will change their experience, but they will never die. So can we now talk about the process of death and dying and how we could help people understand that this is just a transition? Obviously, 
as much as we can, we would like to ensure that there is no pain involved in this process. But the actual death is a process of transition. Could you talk to this, please? I like to think of death in terms of science. You could even think about it in science. Science tells us that energy is neither created nor destroyed. We are energy. Yeah. And so it's simply transitioning into something else. So when someone's body dies, you've just simply turned into another substance, just like water turning to ice or water turning to mist. So if we look at science, we don't even have to look at metaphysics. We can have an experience of what that may be. But with the metaphysical world, the spiritual world, I think it it takes it even deeper when you start pulling in the other things we talked about, such as going into that space between lives and, and learning all of our lessons and all that sort of thing. Death and dying is a topic that is very, very dear to my heart. And I teach about it a lot. I do a lot of, of speaking and workshops about it because I'm not sure how the world exactly is where you are, Anna, but I'm sure it's a lot like here in America as far as mm. the fear and the misunderstandings around death. In fact, death is such a fearful topic that it is taboo to talk a lot about it. And it's a taboo thing to even think about having a funeral service in your home with the with the body laid out like it used to be. And you don't even prepare the bodies anymore. As soon as someone dies, they're sent off to another place for a stranger to take care of the body. And in the days of past, which not that very long ago, before the funeral home business blew up, you took care of your family in your own home. Mm-hmm. You dressed them, you had your wake and they were there and people would sit with the body and even further back in various cultures, I'm thinking about the Tibetan book of the dead, which I've read as a resource for the class that I teach. They would sit for days and days with the body reading to the spirit because they believed that the soul, the consciousness, that spark of energy stayed near the body for a certain amount of time. And so they would read and guide that soul, that spirit into what it was supposed to do next and allow it to make those choices as to where it was going to go. And we've just been disconnected from that. We have this fear. And I think a lot of the fear comes because it's such a taboo topic. Mm, And we're, if we, if we are interested in death or death culture or what happens to the body, then people look at us like, oh, they're morbid. They have this morbid curiosity, but it's just the natural cycle, just like anything else is going on in the natural cycle. And so I think that actually being around death and learning about death, what are the stages of dying? When I worked um, as a volunteer for hospice, I sat with dying people all the time. Every week, I sat with people who are in various stages of dying and learned firsthand about that. And the whole idea of dying with dignity is not something that you can control because you don't know what's going to happen. And so that also, that unknown, not just the fear of what's going to happen afterwards, but the fear of, like you mentioned, pain 
and suffering? And what if I'm undignified? What if I'm naked in the shower? All these different things bring this intense fear of dying. And I want to tell people that your death, and guess what? Even though the world tells you that you can be young forever, <laughs> and if you take this supplement yeah. or you have this plastic surgery or you do this and that, you will be young forever. One thing is, is for sure, we are all going to die. And so pretending that it's not going to happen is not doing us a service. And so I like to say that our impending death is the most powerful Mm. energy that you can harness for your life. Because think about what would get done if people actually realized and pulled into themselves that they were going to die and not waited till they got some sort of diagnosis or someone close to them dies. If they today realize I could die, I could never wake up tomorrow. I could be dead in a year. I could be dead tonight. And then they said, let me live my life as if that were going to happen. Imagine what would happen in this world. Learn more about quantum living, a cutting-edge approach to self-empowerment and emotional freedom at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is the master key to understanding how life works and gives you many tools and strategies to change your life experiences. Whether dealing with emotional addictions, relationship issues, self-sabotage blocking the progress and achievement in your life, or any other challenge, Quantum Living is the space you want to be in. My Quantum Living coaching program is as psychological, spiritual, and esoteric as it is educational and practical. In the advanced stage of the program, I will take you on a quantum soul journey in a deep theta state to other dimensions and realities, which is an amazing and profound experience. I also invite you to sign up for Quantum Talk, my free monthly newsletter with a blog, updates and special offers. When you do, you will instantly receive a download copy of my book, The Seven Keys to Quantum Communication, absolutely free. To book your free diagnostic session and receive your free book, visit quantumliving.com.au today. You'll be glad you did. Absolutely. And this, in fact, reminds me that when we sleep, we just talked about sleeping, when we sleep, every night for seven, eight hours, whatever, this is like a little death. Yes. Because we, we disconnect from our consciousness Mm -hmm. and then we reconnect again in the morning. Mm -hmm. And as you say, a lot of people die in their sleep, which is probably the most beautiful way to die Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's a just transition in within a transition. Right. But it's like almost like preparing us that, you know, don't Mm -hmm. worry you know, you're healthy, whatever, you go to sleep, you will wake up in the morning, let go. Yeah. It's a lack of control. Yeah. Yeah. We want to control everything, don't we? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's what humans want to do. They want to control everything Yes. and you can't Mm. control death. You can't control sleep. Like you mentioned earlier, if you try to control it, eventually you will drop into sleep. Your body will force it. Your mind will force it. 
And, and so I think that the, the thing that people can do, the number one thing, if you can just deal with that fear. And one of the things, have you ever heard the term memento mori? Yes. So it basically just means remember death. And monks would whisper that to each other to remind each other that you are going to die. And so there are meditations that you can do where you imagine what it would be like to die. There are even meditations you can do where you imagine looking Mm -hmm. at your body as it decomposes. And these things actually allow you to have a sense of peace because you are kind of knowing what's coming. And it's not completely separating you from the process of death. Mm. Uh, I mean, even when people die, they still want to embalm them with all these chemicals to make Mm. them look like they're still alive. We just lost all, it's almost like we've lost all respect for that cycle. And that is a rite of passage. Death is a rite of passage that we go through into the next state of consciousness, really. And so I think that people really need to look into what their fears, what their misconceptions of around death. And just a lot of people are going to find that they have things that were taught to them that aren't true or that they've decided that aren't true. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Although I I am a strong believer in cremation. Mm -hmm. What is really interesting is that people, and I think pretty much everyone who has experienced near-death or who had a near-death experience mm-hmm. when they died for a few minutes on the operating table, etc., or when they drowned, when they come back to life, they all say unanimously that they have lost the fear of death because they have kind of experienced it and what, whatever they saw, you know, the tunnel and the light or, you know, whatever the individual experience was, they have crossed that barrier, that threshold. So they know that it's not just blackness and nothingness, that there is something there. Mm-hmm. And they were lucky to come back. Well, some probably didn't want to come back. <laughs> but they, you know, they were convinced by the soul. Of, okay, okay, I'll come back because I'm not finished here yet. <laughs> But they all have lost the fear of dying, which was the greatest gift of that experience. I have not met anyone personally that has had a near-death experience. I've, I've done research on it and read books about it. As part of my hypnosis training, in fact, we were taught about near-death experiences. And that's true. They faced it. They don't, they don't need to be afraid of it anymore. They've, they've gone through it. One of the things that you mentioned about the light, that's mm. when it's not a hundred percent, but the majority of people, no matter what their experience is, they do experience like that light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel or that light that's there. And another thing is a choice being given a choice of some sort of whether to come back or not. I think that's really interesting because how many people did not have the NDE. They didn't have the near-death experience. They made the choice to not come back. Yeah. Like it's interesting to think about that of did every single person who has died, were they given that choice and did they choose not to come back yes, for whatever yes. reason?
That's a very interesting concept. I haven't thought about it, but I like it because, again, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Or at least in many more cases than we know about. Because obviously, don't who choose not to come back, well, they just die and we don't know right. what was their decision or, or whether that, that was their choice. We only know about those that do come back. <laughs> but yeah. that's, a, that's a very interesting concept to think about. And you mentioned, you know, books and, and, and training, etc. I would encourage every person who has a fear of dying to do some research and get hold of um, some books. And there's quite a few written by people who had ND and ND mm. when, when they talk about it. And so this is like a firsthand experience of, of dying and death. Yes which is really inspirational, inspiring, and again, very helpful, as I have heard from, uh, from many people, very helpful in, in removing that fear of dying. I want to tell a little quick story about something that happened to me last year. Please do. Because it was so mm-hmm. meaningful to me, and it actually, any fear that I might have had lingering in my shadows about death was taken away from this experience. So I had someone, and it's the one that I told you about that was smoking in my house. So I was there mm-hmm. when someone died. Um, they got very sick. It was my uh, my future daughter-in-law's father, and I had never met him, but he got sick. And within a week, he was near death. And so she was very broken up about it as is understandable. And so when they were taking him off of the equipment, I told her that since she just didn't feel able to go in, I would go in and pray and just be there in her place. So I went in there and he, he never, he was in the a coma. So he never um, made any movements that he that he could tell we were around but i truly believe that people can know that that people are around they can hear yeah. things so yeah. i asked someone to play some of his favorite music so we put on music for him and uh the sister her, his his um her sis, her sister was in there with with us mm-hmm. and so i invited the angels to please come in and bring comfort. Mm. And I saw them walk down the hallway of the hospital and, and feed into that room, just all come and crowd into that room. And the closer he got to death, the more angels and other spirits joined them. It was the, it was the most amazing thing. I was in complete awe just standing by his leg and watching these spirits and angels come in. And at the moment of death, angels came right above him. And the best word that I can use is they gathered, they gathered his consciousness, Mm. his spirit up out of his body. And, and his body was still, and it was the most beautiful thing. I wasn't sure what I was going to experience because they had set us up that it was going to be this really traumatic thing. 
It was not. It was beautiful. They gathered up his soul. And then when his daughter came in, she was crying. She was kneeling by the bed. She was holding his hand. And he appeared standing behind her. And he put a hand on her shoulder and then touched her hair. And afterwards, I would. I don't tell people that's part of my ethics. I don't just go up to people and said, Hey, I saw so-and-so I didn't say anything, but they know my gifts. And so I was asked, did you see anything? So I began to tell them. And before I could actually finish, she said he was on this side and he touched my hair right here. And that's exactly where I had seen him. And she said, I wanted to ask you in that moment, but I wasn't sure how to say it, but I thought that I felt him right there. And I said, that's exactly where he was standing. And it gave her so much comfort to know that. And it gave me so much comfort to, to watch the process Mm. of death, the transition and to see him. So I, I don't know why I felt like I wanted to share that. Maybe somebody needs to hear that, but it was extremely meaningful extremely meaningful to me. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. Yes, thank you for sharing. And I understand and I believe and I know that the most beautiful way to pass on is to be in a state of peace. Mm. That's why when people die, say, in a car accident or some other accident, when things happen very quickly, so they are in the in a state of mm-hmm. uh, you know stress and, and pain and whatever, and then they are pretty much their soul is jolted out of their body. So it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the time to attain this sense of inner peace for the passage. I understand that those souls need to spend more time on the other side to, quote unquote, recover from mm. that experience to bring up and bring in this beautiful state of inner peace. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Lovely. Okay, Mela, we are not quite done yet, <laughs> but we are we are getting <laughs> towards the end of this beautiful, amazing conversation. There are a couple of other points that I would invite you to speak to. We touched upon this built earlier on in this conversation, talking about highly sensitive people, indigo children, rainbow people, crystal and how we can recognize them, and I guess how can we help them to develop and retain those unusual, beautiful levels of consciousness? I think that's really important, the the last part of it. It's all well and good to put a label on something and to say, yes, I'm a star seed or whatever else you want to call it. But the important thing is, if you have a rainbow child, as a, a one of your children or grandchild or cousin or, or niece, nephew, or, or you're one of these, 
what do you need to do as a highly sensitive person to protect yourself, Mm -hmm. to get through this world? Because this world is detrimental in a lot of ways to these sensitive people. So I think to start, I want to just kind of give an overview of what these different types of children are. Please do. So I mentioned indigo, indigo children, an indigo child, and take child lightly. You could just say person because I don't consider myself a child. I just turned 50, Mm -hmm. but I am an indigo child. Uh, The indigo children were born in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. I'm 71. That's my birthday. And a lot of times you had some who arrived earlier than that, but that's the majority of them. So these are the the rock stars, the rockers, the fighters, the feminists, the protesters. Mm. They're anti-everything. The hippies. <laughs> the hippies, absolutely. Yeah. And the reason that the indigo describes them is that at that is a predominant color in their aura. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were called the indigos. So they're, they're old souls. Um, their third eye is yeah. very active. Yeah. Yeah. And if you I mean, look at what happened in the world in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you had the civil rights movement going on strong. You had the women's movement, rock yeah. and roll, yeah. gay rights movement, so many things. They were the movers and shakers and they came in. They could very often walk and talk at young ages and they had problems with authority and they were just really shaking things up. A lot of times they had extremely difficult childhoods as well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our indigo children did not make it very far into adulthood because they were so depressed. Their parents did not know how to help them. They were highly sensitive coming into this world at a time when it was not taught how to deal with these highly sensitive Mm. children. So you had these clairvoyant or clairaudient uh, medium children with all these gifts, seeing the supernatural world and being told that they were crazy, being told that they needed to be on medication or just all these terrible things. And so when you look back at them, if this is describing you, then if you are alive today, you have made it through a lot of hardship. And so there are things that you can do to really nourish your indigo child soul. Um, And there's still indigos being born, even though it's not as prominent, there's still indigos being, being born. I think for indigos, one of the main goals of these souls being born is really to shake things up, to challenge the old beliefs and really to clear the way for the crystals and the rainbows that came after them. Mm -hmm. So they're wise old souls that, have really torn down a lot of things so that when the crystals come in, the crystals crystals can start rebuilding what the indigos tore down. So crystals are born from about the 1980s to around 2010. There was a huge influx around 2000, and there are still crystals being born today. Usually, they have at least one indigo child parent. Um, They are also wise old souls, but their auras have a lot of 
crystalline pastel hues in them, which is where the Mm -hmm. crystal child comes from. A lot of times people will describe a crystal child's eyes that they see right through them, that it's uncomfortable looking into a crystal child's eyes. Mm. They're very affectionate. They're very nurturing and they're very powerful with their spiritual gifts. They can very often be even telepathic mm-hmm. and have these psychic abilities. Very, very sensitive to energy, to emotions. A lot of times they're going to have allergies, food allergies. They're going to be picky about the clothes they wear because they don't like tags or certain materials mm-hmm. against their skin. They're going to be very sensitive to sound. And so a lot of these children may very well have been diagnosed with autism or ADHD or all Mm -hmm. these different things. And it kind of begs the question of, and I I think it's something that is talked about in some circles, is Mm -hmm. this highly sensitive child, is it really a curse like the world says it is? Or is it just because they are so attuned to the spirit world? Mm. So this is where it comes into really knowing how to nourish and nurture these children. Uh, So they're, they're very creative. They're very resourceful. They connect to animals. They connect to children younger than them. Um, They Mm. have an affinity with water. A lot of times they're healers, they're natural healers. And so they're coming in with love. They're coming in with not understanding why people just can't accept each other. I have crystals Mm. who are nieces and nephews, and they're just all about love and all about acceptance. And they don't understand Mm. why people can't be that way. They're also talking Mm. to the trees and they're talking to the fairies and the land spirits and having these amazing dreams where they travel. It's just all happening very spontaneously. Would you like to learn how to meditate in Theta? The optimum frequency you can have in a meditative state? By popular demand, I have created an instructional Theta meditation package containing a guided audio meditation and an introduction booklet. It is a unique, one-of-a-kind resource that will help you achieve and maintain the elusive Theta state throughout your meditation and will give you the important background information about Theta meditation and this process. I also offer one-on-one Theta Meditation online teaching sessions with customized guidance and support, a perfect way to quickly learn the Theta process. For more details, please go to the store on my website at quantumliving.com.au. So these are people who are now in their late teens and early 20s. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. I had two children. One of mine is a crystal and my crystal child is 23 now, uh, born in 1999. I had to raise that child and uh, they like the, the term they, they, 
So that's why I'm calling them they. They felt like they did not fit in. They felt like they had a lot of love and gifts that they didn't understand. And they were also called wise old souls by strangers who met them in the street. They'd look into their eyes and say, oh, this is a wise old soul, which would kind of freak them out a little bit (laughs) just to have people doing it. Mm. But they're they're just, they don't understand why there's so many divisive people in the world. And so I had to completely parent that child different from my other child because they were so Mm -hmm. sensitive. And just a little bit about the rainbow children who are being born right now. They started being born around 2010. The difference between the indigo and the crystal is their, their old souls. They have lived before. They've Mm -hmm. lived other lives. Your rainbow child Mm -hmm. is a brand new soul a lot of times. They're new to this earth. They're often born to a crystal parent or sometimes an indigo parent. They're very different. They're very forgiving. So if you take the what we talked about with a crystal and just dose it up to be even bigger, they're just high vibrational as they come into this world high vibrational in the womb. They are just enlightened, psychic, sweet, maybe even stubborn, telepathic children who are extremely sensitive. They may not need as much sleep as other children, which is very difficult for the parents. Mm. They may love lots of color around them. Whereas the crystal children, they're trying to figure out gender and they're trying to figure out all these different things, the rainbow children, like gender, their gender doesn't even matter. What does it matter? What my gender is? What is it? Mm. Everything is fluid because there's a lot of balance coming in. So I think that they're going to come in and build even more on what the crystals have, have built. Um, so that's kind of the the overview of why we need to learn a little bit about how to deal with these. What do you think so far? I knew about indigo. I am also an indigo. Well, I've heard of crystal and rainbow, but I didn't know much detail. Mm -hmm. All I do know is that people in all these three categories, if you like, apart from being spiritually open and very sensitive, are very talented, very creative, Mm -hmm because they carry with them their various skills and gifts and talents to this life from the previous lifetimes, which is beautiful. Right. Yeah, it's right there at the tip of their memory. A lot of times we forget it. And it takes going to past life regression to actually pull that out. But your crystals are remembering that and they're building on that, uh, building on that knowledge. I think it's really important as we've talk about the different types of children. And as you may think, I might be one of these, or I might have a child or know a child like this. I want to give you some advice. So one of the things that's really good is to keep your home as harmonious and peaceful as possible. This is so important because indigo, crystal, and rainbow children are so sensitive to energy. So Try to not have a lot of chaos going on. It is not the best environment for you to be screaming. There's lots of mothers and families that are screaming. But if your child is 
putting their hands over their ears and running into the bedroom or having tantrums and crying a lot, it could be because the energy is not harmonious around them. Also teaching your child to be grounded, walking barefoot outside, crystals, all these different things that will be very helpful to keep this child grounded and also teach your children how to energetically shield and protect themselves. This is really important. If you are one of these children, find someone, find a book, find a place to learn how to protect yourself as well. If your energy is off, if you're going into a place or your home's energy is off, your children are going to be wild. They may be aggressive. They may have mood swings, temper tantrums, your home If you have these type of children, these sensitive children needs to be as peaceful as possible because they need balance. Your children may even be an empath. So they're feeling all these emotions. So breathing up exercises. And if you aren't familiar with stimming, that's an autistic term, but it's something that you can give healthy stimming activities like little toys visual stems, having them dance, having them move. And that allows that burst of energy that's built up inside of them to leave. I also think it's a great idea to cleanse your home of energy regularly and to get out that stagnant or that negative energy Um, and exercise. Let your children get outside. Let them be in nature as much as possible so that They are just out there running off that energy and getting close to nature, which is going to be a really big comfort to them. Absolutely. Very important message. Thank you. And very good advice. Is there anything else, Mela, that you would like to add to this conversation that we haven't talked about yet? I think that this has been a wonderful conversation. I have so enjoyed chatting with you about this. And I'm interested in so many different things, and it really makes me think about the rites of passage, which I have mentioned a few times as we talked, Mm -hmm. and just about the cycle of nature, the cycle of life, and how death is a rite of passage, birth, that consciousness being born into a body, that is a rite of passage as, as well. The mother being the portal, that's a rite of passage. So I think that what I really want to say about all this is it's it's all connected. It's all connected in some way. And it's connected to nature as above, so below. I, I mentioned that before. And you can see that in these levels of consciousness as well. Well, Mala, it has been a most beautiful, <laughs> beautiful conversation. I would like to finish it with the key messages from you and me. What would be your key message from all this topic that we talked about, all those concepts and and very important pieces of of advice? What would you like to leave our audience with? You are so much more powerful than you think you are. You may have read or you heard us talking about all these experiences, these beautiful experiences of psychic gifts and intuition and going into our dreams and making things happen, you have the power to do this. All this that we talked about is something that is open to every human being. And if I can leave 
the listeners with anything, it's that you're so powerful. You are so gifted. Every single one of you, you have a way of translating that intuition. You have a way of of using your spiritual gifts in the world. And there is nothing that you cannot accomplish if you channel all these different things and you have the ability to do that. I think that's really what I want people to know. I don't want them to hear our conversation and think, oh, that's them. That's something that I can't ever tap into. You can tap into it. You can do it. You are powerful. Absolutely. How beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. My key message is embracing altered states of consciousness is an integral part of the ascension process, which is essentially raising our individual frequency so that we could access those states more easily and understand what they are. And the frequency of our consciousness is linked to other dimensions, and the veil between the dimensions is rapidly thinning. So things like deep theta meditation, dream work, exploring past, future, and concurrent lives, developing so-called psychic abilities or the sixth sense, using plant medicine such as ayahuasca to connect with other dimensions, and everything else that we have just talked about will help us open up and will help you open up and expand your awareness of the nature of life and reality where we can learn so much and grow. So I would like to encourage everyone listening to us, listening to this conversation, even the biggest skeptics, to at least try some of these altered states of consciousness, perhaps starting with the meditation, which is the easiest thing to do. And this will put you on the path of self-empowerment, growth, and development as a soul and a human being. Thank you so much, Mela. Thank you. It's been, gosh, such a pleasure to, to have an opportunity to speak with you again. And it's been such a fun and beautiful, beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for having me back. And I think your words were just beautiful. So, so thank you so much for that. Thank you and namaste. Well, we have covered a lot of material over these two episodes. I hope that you found my model of linking the altered states of consciousness to the human brainwaves useful in mapping them out and unpacking. And Mela's comprehensive coverage of the indigo, crystal and rainbow children helpful in understanding these beautiful, super-sensitive souls. Still, we have barely scratched the surface. (laughs) And some of the topics covered are perhaps controversial. I invite you to listen to this podcast more than once with an open mind as there are many important messages in it which may have escaped you the first time. Please feel free to email me your comments and any questions you may have. I would love to hear from you about your experience with this special double episode and I'm sure that Mela would love to hear from you too. If I know that this is something you are interested in, I will consider going deeper and expand on some of these topics in part three. And if you loved it, please post a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. 
you will find the links in the About section on my Quantum Living Podcast website at podpage.com. Ratings and reviews are an important indicator of the quality of the podcast and encourage others to listen to it and enjoy. So please spread the word. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. If you enjoyed the show, please post a review on Apple Podcasts to encourage others to listen to it and lift the spirit across the world and the universe. For the show notes and contact details, please go to my Quantum Living Podcast on podpage.com. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, be well.